We are over in Ephesians chapter 3. We begin that tonight, and we're looking at verse 1. Last week we were looking at the covenants of Israel. We saw that if we live with a divisional mind, we will not walk in a covenant, in a covenant mind. We won't have that mentality. And the enemy is always trying to get people into a divisional mindset. In particular, they were getting people to focus on one particular trait. Didn't matter what it was. Just want to get them single trait focused. For the day that they were in, the main trait was Jew and Gentile. That was it. And we've seen through the ages the trait may differ, but the enemy is always trying to get people to focus on one thing in someone and write them off or accept them based on that. Whereas God says, don't be concerned about the physical. I want you to be looking at the spiritual aspects of people. The less we are focused on physical differences, it doesn't mean not noticing, just means not focusing, the less we will walk in the, I'm sorry, the, the less we are focused on physical differences. If I continue to focus on the physical differences, I've allowed the enemy to keep bringing me to see them. It's not that I don't notice, but I'm focusing on them. If I keep doing that, I will walk less with the mind of God. And that's not how God wants us to go. So here, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, you, uh, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. We've gone over these a number of times in the past, but since he is dealing with these ages, we need to just lay them on out and make sure that we are aware of them. So it might be review for, for some of you, but the ages as he begins to talk about them here, the first age is the age of innocence. Now, these are not labels God put on. These are labels that we have put on. I have no problem with them. Uh, any label that you want to put on, as long as it describes the particular age, is, is fine. But the, in, the, in the age of innocence, it went from the creation until the fall of man. And you'll notice that for each of these ages, the salvation gospel is clear, and it is different. For the age of innocence, and this is when Adam and Eve were on the earth, the salvation gospel is, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. There was no believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That wasn't there. All he had to do was, don't eat of the tree. So if, if there were a whole lot of people, if the, they didn't fall before the earth was beginning to be populated, and there were people on the earth, off their offspring, then if their offspring had offspring, and if there's a lot of people that were there, they would have been preaching this message. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only message that they had. That's it. But of course, two people on the earth couldn't keep it. <laughs> and so that, that ended. And so then we go to the age of conscience. That's after they got kicked out of the garden. And this continues on until the flood of Noah. Now the salvation gospel here is... Do good, and don't do evil. 
Now, there is no law, but that's why they call it the age of conscience. If there was, an age, if there was a law, then there would be a law to live up to. But the age of conscience is you should know what is good and what is evil. Don't do the bad stuff. Do the good stuff. And that didn't happen. People began to do more of the bad stuff. And uh, God sent the flood. Remember when Noah was found, when Noah was identified, it is not that Noah was perfect in his actions, but in his generations. And he did not preach believe in the coming flood and get on the ark. He didn't, he didn't preach that. That was not the message. Because the ark was not open to anyone except for Noah and his family because they were perfect in their generations. And the corrupted seed had to be removed. The third age is the age of human government. That goes from the time of Noah's flood until the Tower of Babel. The salvation gospel here is believe in and, and submit to God. That's really all you had to do. Believe in God and submit to Him. And they didn't do it. There's a lot of people who just said, no, we're going to do our own thing. We're not going to believe in God. In uh, Genesis 9, it said, So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, and on all that move on the earth, and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. So that was what was declared over the beast. But they were to, to go and multiply and to fill the earth. I'm not going to read it, but in Genesis 11, 1 through 8, we see that they came together, they were all one language, and they came together and they came to the land of Shinar, they dwelt there. And they decided to make this big tower that's going up into the heavens. God looked upon them. And I don't think he felt threatened at all. But he said, uh, nothing shall be impossible to them. And so he divided them. We mentioned it to you before that Satan learned from this place. If you want to keep people from doing things, make sure they're divided. And so he has worked ever since to make sure that people stay divided. Particularly if he can get them to focus on one thing. He just seems to have an easier time with that. Get everybody focused on one thing. That one thing can change, but get them focused on one thing and divide them. We have the fourth, fourth age, and this is the covenant of promise. This comes from the promise given to Abraham until the end of the Egyptian captivity. The promise given to Abraham until the end of the, of the captivity, because at the end of the captivity they were given the law. The salvation gospel here is believe God's promises. God has made a promise. You need to believe it. So for Abraham, Abraham had to believe God's promises, and the Word of God says that he believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And what he had was the promises of God. God made several promises to him about his descendants, about what would come, about the blessing of nations. Uh, all these different things he God had promised him, he needed to have faith in the promise. His descendants had to have faith in the promise that was given to Abraham. And they had to have faith in the promise that was given that they would be taken out of Egypt. And so there were all these promises that were made, and the gospel message there is, believe his promises. Now the previous ones here, the previous ages, were all 
focused on now. From here on out, they focus on the future. In the, in the previous ones, they focus on what they were doing now. Just to give you an example. In the age of innocence, right now, don't eat of the tree. In the age of conference, right now, do good, don't do evil. In the age of human governments, right now, believe in and submit to God. But here now on this one, it's about the future. Believe the promises of God that they will come to pass. So there's a, there's a change there, and that change doesn't stop. It continues to go on through the rest of them. The next one, the law, this goes from Mount Sinai until the cross. The salvation gospel is obey God and keep His commandments. Of course, they couldn't do that. So they didn't, uh, that didn't come that way, but obey God and keep His commandments. When you do, and then all through the law, the law would say, all right, here's the law. Now obey this, and here's what will come as you obey. This is what I will do. So there are still promises that were coming. There are still things that were future to look forward to. And, of course, the law pointed to Messiah. And so we have Messiah's coming. In the covenant or promise age, the fourth age, we look forward to the promises coming about. In this fifth one, the law, we look forward to Messiah is coming. And so the, all through the law and the prophets, it was talking about Messiah. Messiah is coming. There were prophetic utterances given about the ministry of the Messiah and what he would do. Then came the sixth age, and that is the age of grace, the church age. This begins from Pentecost and goes until the end of the rapture of the church. The salvation message is confess or submit to Jesus' lordship and believe in his resurrection. Submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and believe in his resurrection. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe in his resurrection. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And here we look forward to his second coming and to our being in heaven with him, ruling and reigning with him. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is salvation in this particular age. That's not salvation in the era of the law. It's not salvation in the era of promise. It is salvation during the church age. And of course our future part, what is the thing we are looking forward to? The rapture of the church. We're focused on the rapture of the church. That is coming. And then we have the seventh, and that is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. It begins after the second coming of Christ. Then it goes, continues on for 1,000 years. The future part of this is the kingdom is coming. The eternal kingdom is coming. Because the one that comes after the millennial reign is an eternal kingdom. We have a remade earth. God is going to melt this one down. Start it all over. He's going to eradicate sin from it. And we will begin anew. So that is the future part of that. 
Now, the first three that we have here, the first three began in mercy. But by the end, they were looking to judgment coming. They began in mercy, but by the end, they were looking to the judgment that was coming. <clears throat> now, the judge, judgment, by the time the end of this age was coming, judgment was known. When the flood of Noah came, Noah knew the flood was coming. Others knew the flood was coming. There were prophecies that were given about the, the flood coming. It, it didn't start with the judgment in mind. None of those ones started with the judgment in mind. They, they started with mercy, the mercy of God. When God came down to Adam and Eve and they had sinned, there was the mercy of God that began that period. And he uh, told them what needed to be done and what would go on. And mercy was extended to them. But all three of those began in mercy, but they ended looking to judgment coming. The final four begin and end looking to mercy arriving. So they began with mercy, and they will also end looking for mercy to arrive. Now here's a, here's a fun one. Where does the tribulation fit in? Now here's the... Here's the problem. We can just say that the tribulation gets tacked on to the age of the law. Because once the church is pulled out, we continue on with the Jewish age. Daniel had 70 weeks. 69 weeks have transpired. The 70th week still needs to go on. That is the tribulation period. There could just be an ending of that. Except for the fact that Jesus said the law was finished. That the law continued from Moses until... John, and then the law ended. So, is the tribulation period a continuation of the Jewish age with new rules in play? So, it's a, it does add for some interesting things. When the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him about the end times, they say, what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. Now, they weren't looking for the end of the church age. They didn't even know about the church age. They didn't know the church age was even going to exist. So they aren't asking about that end for that age. They were asking for the end of the Jewish age that would start the millennial reign. And Jesus answered accordingly. So it would seem that the tribulation falls under that age. But perhaps the laws that are in place that rule during the church continue to rule then because the Holy Spirit still seems to be poured out amongst people. But maybe we don't have all the answers exactly how the tribulation fits in. But uh, I put this quote in, in your bulletin for you. Dispensations begin with the mercy of God and end with the failure of man. Each of these ages or each of these dispensations began with the mercy of God, but they ended with the failure of man. The law ended because man failed to keep his end of the, of the bargain. The flood came because man failed at doing what God had asked during that age. Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, and the next age started because man failed in the garden to stay away from the tree. 
So each of these ages ended with the failure of man, but they also began with the mercy of God. So let's read this all again. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. <laughs> now, that's, you may look at this and say, well, he's written pretty wordy about all these things, not just in this epistle, but also in, in all the other ones. It is pretty wordy, wordy, but think about what it is that he received. And he's trying to write this stuff down. So what he has written is brief compared to what he received. But he was given this revelation. Jesus made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Well, he knows he has an understanding. He's not bragging on this. He's just simply stating what he has. Just because you tell people what you have doesn't mean that you're bragging. If you ever listen to Jesse DePlantis, he will often talk about what he has. Always premises is with, now not bragging. <laughs> He's just declaring what it is that he has. Paul is declaring what it is that he has. He has this understanding. And it's not bragging to do so. It, also, it isn't prideful to say what you have. By which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So there are certain aspects of this that were revealed to Paul, but as Paul came down and he was teaching it, there are also aspects of it that were revealed to the apostles, and they began to teach it. And they also heard some of the things that Paul taught, and God gave them understanding on some other aspects of the understanding of this mystery was growing. And more and more we're, under, we're understanding it. Verse 6, That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Now his power can work, but it's better if it works effectively. He's talking about the effective working of his power that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So during this age, during our age, the age that we are now living in, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. They are not going to be sub-citizens of this. They are fellow heirs. God is not looking at the church, the age of grace. He's not looking at the, the church and saying, well, some of you, you know, you're just kind of grafted in. The rest of you are genuine. He's not looking at that. He doesn't divide between Jew and Gentile. He says, they're all one. They're all brought together. But the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of the, all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places." 
So we must know what comes from our age or comes with our age so that we can operate in it. If I try and operate in this age according to the way that they operate under the law, I will come up short in what I'm supposed to operate here. If you, if you were to go underwater and decide to go scuba diving, you would enter into a different world. And in that different world, you have to operate differently. If you operate under the water the way that you operate on the land, it could kill you. You have to bring your own oxygen because it's not provided for you there. You have to understand that though you can get in an airplane and soar up to thousands of feet in a matter of uh, minutes, when you're in the water, you can't do that. You will die. You have to come up gradually. Which means, knowing that rule, when you are down under the water playing around having a good time, you have to keep an eye on your oxygen to make sure that you have enough so that you can go up slowly to the surface and not rapidly. You have to operate by the rules that are there. You have to first off understand the rules and then operate by them. When we went into space, we had to operate by the rules. Real interesting to operate by rules for the place you've never been. Most of what we did in the space program in the beginning was uh, guess. We didn't know. I was listening to um, an interviewer, uh, somehow uh, Armstrong was, was being discussed. When they landed on the moon, there was questions as to whether the moon's surface would hold the, the uh, lunar module. There was questions that when he took the first step, if it would hold him, if he wouldn't sink into a whole lot of dust. They didn't know. So there's a lot of unknown parts there. So when you see that first step, <laughs> I've watched it, and I can't see him doing anything that's making me think he's, uh, he's a little gun-shy about doing this. He, he goes out there and he, he does it. There was uncertainty the first time they went on a spacewalk. What will happen? We've, we surmise, but until someone actually does it, you just don't know. And uh, there was even a, a rule that Einstein theorized. His mind just was, was something different. He theorized something that could never be proven until someone went into space. And so when the, when the people went into space and they orbited around the Earth and they came back, they did a test to see if his theory was correct, and it turned out that it was. I, I, that just blows me away, that, you can, that your mind can go and theorize about what will happen when you leave this planet and then come up with something that's actually true. That's just... <laughs> that is amazing to me. But a lot of these people, they did things for the first time. They didn't know what would happen. If we try and operate in the age of grace, according to the old laws, we're going to hinder ourselves. This is why Paul came against the Galatians so strong. You guys can't live in this age living in another age. You've got to live this age. This is how God's operating now. You've got to understand how God's operating. If you got into the second age and you said, all right, where well, the laws are, don't eat it in the tree. And if you operate by that law, you aren't going to get anywhere. 
because that law is not in operation anymore. If we decide, let's go back to the, to the age of innocence and let's just not eat of the tree and we ban all fruit trees. No one can eat any fruit trees and that's salvation, not eating any fruit trees. No, that's not right. See, God makes the laws. God makes the rules. People today, though, they're trying to do that. They're trying to come up here. Well, we're in the age of grace, and the age of grace means that there's plenty of grace. And so Christ died for all sinners, and therefore all sin is paid for whether you believe in him or not. And they can just come up with their own rules. It's called ultra grace. You know, we've talked about it before. I don't have any respect at all for ultra grace preachers. Once I know somebody has fallen into that, I write off everything they teach, everything. I block it all out because it is impossible for the other stuff not to be infected with it. Once I found a person there, ultra, ultra grace, you won't see me listening to a single thing or ever quoting them because they have been a little leaven, as Jesus said, will leaven the whole loaf. And that is something that will poison everything about it. Cannot do it. We cannot write our own rules for any age. We have to understand the rules as God put them in play and, and, and work that way. We did not create the, the law of gravity. We didn't create the law of lift and thrust. We didn't create any of those things, but we take advantage of it in, in flight. In many different things, we take advantage of the laws that are there, but the only way we can take advantage of them is to understand them and to operate by them. People come into the church and they want to operate by their own rules. You cannot operate by your own rules. You need to find out, God, what laws, what rules are in operation, and how can I operate in them? And in this particular book, Paul is praying two different prayers to which he's they are equipping their prayers to equip people to understand the rules that operate this dispensation, this age. Because I cannot write my own rules. I need to understand the rules that God put into play, trust Him and believe Him, and go that way. So the, one of the first things here is the priesthood of the believer. That all believers are priests. Now in the age of the law, they were not all priests. It was the Levites. But that may not have been the original intent. It was only done so because at the, Mount, at the gathering of Mount Sinai, Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? And the entire tribe of Levi showed up. And they became priests because of that. So the priesthood was just isolated to them. But there was no indication that God was going to do that. That was something he brought on in. But now we're in this age, and he says, I want you all to be priests. So the priesthood of the believer is there. There are denominations, there are groups that teach that only certain ones are, have that priest ability. Now a priest stood between God and man. And they offered sacrifices. They uh, made uh, atonement between God and man. But what God is saying is, I want you all to be priests. I want you all to be able to make that atonement that if something falls short, you need to be able to come to me and operate in that role of a priest even for yourself. 1 Peter 2, 5, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. A few verses down in verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him 
who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were called and we were made to proclaim the praises of him. When we proclaim other things instead, we are stepping out of our role of the priest. When we start declaring things and proclaiming things that are complaining, when we start doing things, bickering, speaking evil of others, speaking words of fear and doubt, we are stepping out of our role of the priesthood and we are doing other things instead. This is not something that we're supposed to be doing. Understand the role that we are called into and operate by it. A priest's role was to make peace between men and God. But many Christians go around and they stir up trouble. And they speak evil of, the, of their other brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're not helping in this situation. We're not operating in that role of a priesthood. Not going to get into all the different aspects of it here. Just want to make sure that we understand the roles that we are to have. Revelations 1 6 and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's plenty more scriptures on this, but that's enough for you on this. We are made to be kings and priests. The second area is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is unique to the church age. He came upon people in the past, but now he will be in you. Luke 1, 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Acts 1, 1 through 8, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when he had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So during this particular age, they had been baptized with water. They had been baptized with a, uh, under John with a uh, baptism of repentance. But coming was a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we saw this poured out on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God came down upon them. They spoke with tongues, which was the outward sign that they saw. And power came on them. And they operated in that power. This is something that is given for this particular age. Verse 6 again. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of, to Israel? Now here it shows that they lacked understanding of the ages. They didn't understand what was what was going. They didn't understand this age that was to come. They saw Jesus here, and they figured that the next age was coming. They they lacked that understanding. And he said to them, "It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." Many people look at Jesus's words when they asked them when the time would be, and he said only the Father knows, but once he became resurrected, he doesn't answer the same way. He said, it's not for you to know. 
it would seem that Jesus at this point knows when that is going to end. Of course, he's taking up his deity again. And that probably has a lot to do with it. Number three, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So we have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We have the indwelling. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Not only is He going to come in you to fill you, He is going to live and make His home in you the same way He made His home in the temple. In the Holy of Holies, He now makes that home in you. John 14.17, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. The veil of the temple was ripped. It was torn in such a way that it could not be restored because he was not to be seen as dwelling in that chamber anymore. He dwelt in us. 2 Timothy 1.14 That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And there's plenty more scriptures about this. <clears throat> but the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. He will live in you. You will become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to operate in that way. They didn't operate this way in the Old Testament. We are to operate knowing that we are the in, we are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. They treated the Holy of Holies with a certain reverence. We need to make sure that we treat our own bodies as a temple and have that reverence for the Holy Spirit that is in us. <clears throat> the church is the body of Christ. That was not the case in the Old Testament. This is new. Matthew 16, 18, I also say to you that you are Peter on, the, on this rock. I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Of course, you get into the Greek on this, you find out a little bit more. You are Peter. You are Petros. You are Little Rock. But upon this big rock, this confession that Jesus Christ is, is this, the Son of God, upon this big rock, this is what I will build my church on. Some people have taken that, that he was building his church on Peter. He was not building his church on Peter. He was building his church on what Peter declared. Ephesians 1.22 He put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation was not called the body of Christ. It was called the bride of Christ. We are called the body of Christ. There is an aspect that is the bride, there is an aspect in which it is the body. In the church age, we are operating under that, uh, that uh, work of the body. We are to be his, his body, not just his bride. We are to be his body. The next is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 dwell in this with chapter 13 in the middle, tying it all together with love. There are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some of those gifts operated in the Old Testament, but not all of them. There were certain ones that were added for this particular age. We need to understand those things that were added and operate in them. God gave them to us for this age because this age needs them. If it didn't need them, He wouldn't have given them to us. Verse 9, let's go back to that. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery... I gave you uh, five things. That's just five differences. You could probably get more differences than, than that in there. But we need to know what the differences are between the previous age and this age and make sure that we are not operating in something that is not working anymore 
and we are operating those things that are working. Ephesians 3, 9, And to make all see what is the, the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. There is a fellowship of the mystery. The mystery being that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, that Gentiles and Jews would be united. There is a fellowship that is there in the church, in this age. It is not a separation. It is a fellowship in which we are not to be looking at individual traits that keep us divided. We are to be looking at those things that bring us together. And to make all, that doesn't mean that you, you just lay everything down. Well, if you don't want to believe in Jesus Christ, that's fine. We're not going to be divided on that. No, there are some things that you hold true to. <clears throat> there are some things that just don't make as much of a difference. We spent some time on that uh, a few weeks ago. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. See, all need to see this. Not everybody was seeing it, even in Paul's day. Of course, not even today which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. Through Jesus Christ were all things created. That's stated in the, in the Scripture very clearly. God said, but Jesus Christ is the one who brought it about. They're both God. God would say it, but then Jesus would do it. <laughs> to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So to the intent or to the purpose that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So this was hidden from the beginning, but here's the intent. We need to make known to the principalities and powers. Very often we're making known to the people of this world. But he doesn't say make known to the people of this world. He says make known to the principalities and powers. A lot of things we're doing in prayer, we need to be first off, make known to the principalities and powers. Don't back down on those guys. They're the ones that are behind it. When Jesus came and was on the boat, he didn't just stop the waves, he spoke to the wind first. The principalities and powers are the things that stir up the waves or stir up the people. So you need to speak first off to the principalities and powers. Once you deal with the wind, you can, de you can then deal with the waves. The force behind them quiets down. Jesus showed us that. But making known to the principalities and powers. This is Paul teaching that he was the one who got a lot of information on this. He says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God is this. He took an inferior being in man and made them superior to the angels. Even though physically we are inferior, we are made superior because of what He's done. So what is physically inferior will have supremacy over what was created superior. Because angels, they're bigger, they're stronger, and they are not bound by certain things that we're bound by. They seem to be able to travel through space without any, without any spaceships. They can just travel. 
Uh, they seem to be incredibly strong. One angel can wipe out an awful lot of people. We saw that in the Old Testament show up. They are very powerful beings. But, he said it again here. Let's read it. <clears throat> and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now it says that the principalities and powers are where? Heavenly places. Where are we? We are on the earth. If the principalities and powers are in heavenly places, it would seem that they are over us. But it says that he's put all things under his feet. And his feet are part of the body, which is the church. So how is it that the principalities and powers in the air, in the heavenly places, are physically above us, but we are over them? That doesn't seem to work that way, does it? And they seem to have a superior position. Here's a, here's a truth I want you to get down. I wrote it down here for you so you can fill it in. <clears throat> it is true that, that physically they are over us. Physically, they are superior beings. Physically, they are stronger. But here's the truth. What is true physically has no bearing on spiritual or positional truth. What is true physically has no bearing on spiritual or positional truth. That's the thing we've got to get down. We have to understand this. Because it may be true physically that your body is going through certain things. But what is true physically does not undermine what is true spiritually or positionally. But so often, Christians are thrown by what is physical, thinking that what they see physically, what they feel physically, has undone what God has declared spiritually. So we have to get the mentality and the thinking that though physically it looks this way, Spiritually, which is more powerful and rules over what is physical, is true because God declared it. So, if we can walk in the truth that we are over what is physically superior to us, what is physically over us, and what physically has a superior position as far as strategy is concerned, they are in the heavens above us. You know, you're going to go into battle. What do you want? The high ground. That's, you got to get the high ground. They apparently have the high ground. It doesn't matter though. Because positionally, we have been declared to be higher. And spiritually, we have been declared to be over. So no matter what the devil feeds us, to think on, well, physically, your body is. But spiritually, God has declared these things. We, in this age, we have got to get the mentality that what is true 
spiritually and what is true positionally trumps what is true physically. But the Christians today are still thrown so much by what is physical, what they hear, what they see, what they feel, and they give that supremacy. And the devil, as long as he can get you to feed into this and to think that what you hear, what reports come to your ears, what things you feel, what report comes through your body, what it is that you can see that these things rule. Well, that can't be true. Look at this. But in the church age, and this, you can even see this going back before this, what was true spiritually, what was true positionally, would overtake what was true physically as long as people didn't distrust what was spiritual or positional. You could spend all day on this one. <laughs> when Elisha comes down in the city, those that are with us are more than are with them. He was believing what was spiritual and what was positional over what was physical. But his buddy there wasn't believing that. And so he says, open up his eyes that he may see. And so then he saw the angels that were on the wall. When Israel would go into battle against this superior force and God declared, you are the victor, they had to believe what was true spiritually, what was true positionally, outdid what was physical. And they would go into battle. King Asa did that and won a great victory. I know you're thinking Jehoshaphat, but King Asa did it as well. And then King Asa came against another big multitude for which he decided to get into a treaty with the king of Syria, for which it was successful, and they fought off that enemy, but God was mad with them. I was ready to deliver that huge multitude into your hands, but you let them go. <laughs> because they decided to put faith in what they saw physically instead of what they knew spiritually and positionally. David goes into battle against Goliath because he believed what was spiritual and what was positional trumped what was physical. You have, you have basically called out the God of Israel. And because of that, he, he even said to the men, he's dead. He's dead. All you got to do is clean it up. And he went out there and, and cleaned it up. And all through the Old Testament, you're going to see this principle going on. But this principle is still here in the New Testament. This is still something we're supposed to be living to. Just because physically you are told one thing does not mean that it undermines what is spiritual and what is positional. Just because you've had victories in that area in the past doesn't mean that you won't have some battles with it in the future. King Asa was a great example of that. Great victory, great victory. And then faltered. You've got to make sure that we're ready. Because the devil's going to throw these things out. What areas can you see this truth carrying over to you? What areas do you need to see that the spiritual 
and the positional truth outdoes what you feel or what you see physically. Because once you see that you have been given the reign in this area, the victory will be yours. And you go on to another area of victory. These are things you couldn't physically do yourself. But God has won the victory. God has brought it about. But just because you've had victories in the past doesn't mean that you won't be tested on this in the future. Every, every decade presents itself with people, for people who can believe what's going on in the world. We all know what's going on in the last couple of years. People have to choose, do I trust God or do I not? Do I believe God or do I go the way that the world says that I should go? And through every decade, people have been faced with this challenge. And it is a, it is a battle. But just understand this, what is physical? What is physical may look very, very real to you, but it's not as real to God as what is spiritual and what is positional. And the Word of God does tell us, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So make sure when you go to battle, you hit them first. You declare to them what it is that God has said. Then you don't back down there. And then don't back down the man. You may have been created inferior. This is what's frustrating the devil. He knows we are an inferior creature. And yet he has to back down when we stand our ground. That is the mystery of the church. Father, we thank you that we are part of this church age. Thank you that we are well equipped to face the things that we will see here, things that have come, things that are yet to come. But no matter what comes, we are the victor. When you put all things under his feet, that was all things that were present as of that day and all things that would be to come. So there is nothing that we face that is not under the feet of the church, of the body of Jesus Christ. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.